Welcome to the School Leaders Podcast. My name is Dr. Gastrit Harrigan, the podcast for current and emerging school leaders, those who support and supervise them. You will hear from passionate educational leaders who are transforming their schools, communities, and creating positive outcomes for students. I will also share my personal reflections and tips from over 15 years as a school leader. Together, we will talk about how to level up our schools and leadership practices. Hello, welcome to the School Leaders Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Gashit Harrigan. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to encourage all of our listeners to join the School Leaders Podcast community on Facebook. Yes, join the conversation uh, in our community on Facebook. So please uh, join uh, our Facebook community. Uh, There we extend our conversation from the episode. Today, I have a special guest, Jessica Linder. She's a teacher, author, and advocate. She teaches history and civic to recent migrant students in urban Massachusetts high school and has won several teaching awards, including being named the top 50 finalists for the Global Teacher Prize in 2021, presented by the Venki Foundation, and being named a 2023 Massachusetts Teacher of the Year finalist presented by the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Previously, she has taught students in middle school, high school, university in the U.S., Thailand, and Cambodia. She's an author of Making Americans, a comprehensive look at immigrants' education as told through key historical moments and court decisions, current experiments to improve migrant education, and profiles of immigrant students and youth across the U.S., across a variety of schools. Join me in welcoming Jessica to the School Leaders Podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. We are glad you are here, uh, Jessica. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. um, So you you said a bunch. I am a, first and foremost, I'm a teacher. Um, I teach recent immigrant and refugee students in Lowell, Massachusetts at Lowell Public High School. And I have just absolutely amazing um, students in my class that I am so honored to work with every day. They come from about 30 different countries, from uh, Colombia to the Democratic Republic of the Congo to Cambodia. And I teach history and civics. um, And then in addition, I write. And so uh, about three years ago now, uh, I took a year off from my teaching and set off across the country to write this book, Making Americans. Um, but first and foremost, I am a, a public school teacher. I head back to school tomorrow morning, bright and early. That is awesome. Yes, indeed. Um, so you said you are a current public school teacher, which is awesome, which means that you're actually doing the work and uh, working with kids in the classroom. Share some of the lessons you learn as a teacher teaching history and civic to recent migrants and refugee students. I mean, uh, my students teach me so much every day. And I think I am just continuously inspired by the tremendous strengths they bring to our class. Um, strengths in their, their the, the knowledge they bring about having lived in um, and experienced multiple countries and cultures. Um, they are cultural and linguistic translators often for their families. I teach high school students. Um, they bring such tremendous amounts of grit and determination. Um, 
that is brought from having lived in multiple countries and navigating uh, here a new country. And such creativity and generosity towards each other in the ways that they're constantly supporting each other. And so just really, they are inspiring and um, it is so much fun to learn with them. Um, And I think what's been powerful over the last many years that I've been teaching in Lowell with my students is seeing the many ways that they are becoming teachers in our community. And so um, we are just finishing up uh, the cookbook project, um, which is at the end of our study of immigration of the early 1900s, we study our students' stories because, of course, my students are experts. And so our, our study of immigration and the history of immigration in this country is not complete without studying their stories and having them be the teachers in our classroom and the teachers in our community. And so um, I'm literally like, after I talk with you, finishing the edits for this project, um, they they choose a favorite family recipe. Um, they then go to their families and have them uh, have moms, dads, grandparents, aunts, uh, help them write down those recipes. That includes FaceTiming folks in Brazil, uh, grandparents in Brazil, maybe texting an aunt in Cambodia. And then um, they write those recipes down and then they share a story of that food, its importance. Maybe it's a connection to a religion or um, a, a celebration. And then also to share a little bit about their story of migration. And we uh, publish this cookbook and we'll be sharing it in our community in a few weeks. Um, uh, another way my students are teachers in our community and teaching not only me, but so many um, members of our community is the work they'll do in the spring, um, tackling a community project they care deeply about um, in our semester long action civics work. And they will together as a class collaborate on working with uh, nonprofits, local leaders, um, maybe our local school, depending on the project they're working on, um, and try to create real change, um, real lasting change in our community. And so I think the you asked, like, what do I learn from my, my teaching of my students is, A, just all the amazing strengths they bring to our classroom, to that they bring to our communities, um, and also all of the, the ways that they are becoming our, our teachers and have so much to teach um, other young people and also adults in our community. That is awesome. I love the fact that you are doing real life uh, projects with the students and and how his, bringing really history of life. And I think that's amazing, especially for students who are coming from different countries and trying to learn the language, trying to learn the community, trying to navigate the culture, even the historical context of their specific uh uh, their local city. Uh, those community projects that you are doing, some of the cookbooks that you are doing, how does this help the student learn about their community and ultimately make an impact in their local community? Absolutely. So I, I think my students are all creating new homes here. And so they're building new communities here. Um, and there are so many aspects of what it takes to build a new community. Um, And so one is seeing that they have an important voice in the community um, that others in the community want to listen to and want to learn from. And so that uh, work we do in the spring on around action civics is really important. I I see that every year 
there'll be a moment when uh, a student will be drafting an email. Maybe it's to our head of school. Maybe it's to a member of city council. And they will turn to me and they will go, so Miss Lander, this is pretend, right? Like this is not real. We're not actually going to send this. And then I could feel like, oh, no, 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 we are actually sending this. And then their eyes get really big and they sort of freak out. But it's also then really powerful because they're realizing that this is real work, um, that they are going to be speaking with, communicating with members of our community. And then how deeply powerful it is when they respond and they get those emails responses and they sit down in those meetings with local officials and they're seeing that their voices are important in the community, that their voices are respected and valued in the community. And that is so, so important in uh, in helping them see that they have a space that they belong in this community. I think it all comes back to belonging. I know we'll talk more about that. Um, but to make sure that they are seeing that their voices are valued in this community is really important. And so doing things like the action civics work we do, we will in a few weeks work on an op-ed project. My students will learn how to write op-eds. And then a selection of those will be published in the local newspaper. All of these are ways um, where our students can be seeing places for themselves in the community and seeing that they are valued in this community. Um, and then too, I mean, my students care so deeply about creating positive change. Uh, and they have so many ideas for ways in which they want to be supporting their classmates and their families and their neighbors. And so helping create space and time in our, our class to help give them the skills to go do that is really, really important. I think about my own uh, educational journey and schooling. And the first time I was really asked to uh, create something in class that had an impact outside of the class was in grad school. And when I when we did this project, it was actually I was writing an op-ed um, and trying to get it published. It was a really powerful moment for me because it made me think back to my schooling. And I, I, I loved my schools and I, I loved my teachers and I learned so much. But one thing that I think s struck me about this is when are we asking students to be teachers in our community? When are we asking um, our students to have an impact outside our classroom? I think those are really powerful learning opportunities. Um, and there's so many different lessons in um, those project-based um, models of teaching and in projects that extend outside the classroom walls. I think that's awesome because um, as you shared, the example of them writing to their local uh, civic leaders, um, one of the things that we do, one of the projects we also do is invite different community business leaders. And yes, it was amazing. Um, several, uh, this past year, several civic leaders that we brought in and student really had wonderful questions. It, 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 it helped them understand what they were learning in class and how to engage at the local level. And I think it's very, it's actually special because a lot of migrant students, ESOL students coming from different countries that may not come from democracies where uh, as citizens, we can engage our government. Oftentimes they're coming from um, dictatorship or different places where really you cannot write, you cannot engage uh, your um, 
you know, you cannot write or engage your civic leaders. So I think that's very important learning uh, as foreign students, learning uh, really how democracy work and how they get, they have a voice, even as students, um, politicians do listen. Uh, in fact, they read our, our kids' poems. They, um, they're going to invest more money for us locally for aftercare be, just because the students say, hey, after school, we have nothing to do. And uh, that was cut several years ago. And uh, the commissioner said, hey, we're going to look in, look into that and uh, and bring it up and see how we could find money. And that wouldn't have happened if we didn't engage our students in that process. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Um, you have written several books. Uh, your latest book, Making American, story of historic uh, struggle, new ideas, inspiration, and uh, immigrant education. Share with us the main points or the message from this book. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Um, so this book has, um, it has been a journey over the last three years. Um, so the, the inspiration for writing this book came out of the work I do in my classroom with my students and all I've learned from them and thinking about how our schools can better support um, immigrant origin students. Um, how can they ensure and nurture a strong sense of belonging where our students' identities are valued and their voices are valued? Um, they feel supported in their learning and are being set up for success for once they leave school. And so I, I set out from uh, my classroom for a year to go sit in the classrooms of others. Um, and it was so exhilarating as a teacher. Um, we um, have so rarely have opportunities as teachers to learn from each other. It's a very isolating profession too often. Um, and so to just as a teacher be able to sit in the classrooms of others and learn from them, but also in the the sort of the frame of trying to think about how do we reimagine immigrant education writing this book, it was really, really powerful. And so the book has three lenses. If we are to think about reimagining immigrant education, I, I think we need to look at um, first the past. We need to understand the Supreme Court cases, federal laws and movements that have transformed our schools in the last 150 years. Um, many of these are pieces of history that have been hugely transformative. And I'm embarrassed to say I didn't know many of these before I set out to write this book. Uh, but they've been deeply impactful um, to where our schools are today. And I'd love to share a few of those stories. They're just really, really powerful. Uh, second, we need to learn from the present. We need to be exploring the innovative and creative approaches happening in school classrooms across the country today. And there is really exciting innovation um, and creative approaches in schools working with immigrant origin students. And so looking at um, traveling across the country, visiting schools and profiling schools from a single classroom in North Dakota to an entire school district of 126 schools in North Carolina. Um, and then finally, and for me, this is the heart of the book, is we have to learn from the personal. We have to learn from our young people. Um, we were talking just a moment ago about uh, the so many ways in which our students are teachers in our community, and they're definitely my teachers in our classroom. Uh, if we're really serious about reimagining immigrant education, we need to be asking our students and having them be our teachers. And so we can learn from them about their experience of school. Um, and so for me, it, this was a book that needed to weave together these three strands of the learning that we can draw from these stories of the past, these stories of the present, 
and these stories of the personal. And from those three sets of stories, we can pull out lessons and ideas uh, around how we create schools that nurture a strong sense of belonging, because it does really come back to how do we nurture a strong sense of belonging? How do we, um, as teachers, as uh, school leaders, as schools, um, help ensure that our our students, our our newest um, students, our immigrant origin students, um, are feeling that this is home, that as they create homes here, that they feel welcome, they feel supported, and that they feel that this is home, um, that they feel that they belong here. Um, so that's the that's the message of the book. Some of the stories in the book are the, the lenses of the book. Um, and it's just been such a powerful journey to be able to learn from educators across the country, um, from um, folks, courageous, courageous folks who are at the heart of um, this really powerful history. And so speaking to those at the heart of these stories. And then, of course, um, to to sit down and learn from my students um, and have them be my teachers uh, as I set out to learn and then to write. Awesome. Thank you for sharing the three lenses. And, and you know, as a migrant student, as an ESOL student, uh, as you share the, the three lenses, I do see myself in and, and each of those lenses in different aspects of my life, coming to the U.S. Uh, about the age of 10, starting here, um, right before I turned 11 and sixth grade and, and my entire journey. And, and you said creating a sense of belonging become very important. And I will say uh, my district did a pretty good, decent job creating that. When I came in, um, obviously, there was a huge um, uh, Esau population. Uh, specifically from the island who I connected with, but it was also the community that my school leaders uh, created to make me feel welcome, to make me feel uh, creating that whole community. So as you reflect on uh, on the book you just wrote, just published, and we recommend everybody who are listening, go out and get the book, uh, share one or two stories of schools or district that you visited and interviewed uh, that are really implementing innovative ideas that are in the cutting edge of, uh, of implementing different ideas and leading to migrant student success. Absolutely. And it's just, uh, I want to thank you for sharing a little bit of that, your story, because it's really powerful to be learning from you. I mean, if we're serious about reimagining immigrant education, we have to be learning from students um, and now adults who have lived this. Um, and that's how we are gonna, I think, best understand how we create welcoming schools. How do we create schools that nurture a sense of belonging? So it's just really powerful to learn from you and hear a little bit of your story. Um, so the to your question, um, there are some really creative approaches. And I will just share a, a few snidbits of ones to hopefully get folks excited to learn more about them. Um, and they are working in different communities across the country and with working with different um, groups of students. So for example, there's a school in Georgia, the Global Village Project, which is a school for refugee girls that have spent a long time outside of school. Um, for some of them, this might be their first um, time experiencing formal education. And if you are a 16-year-old and perhaps you've had no formal uh, education, you come to the U.S., you are often going to be put in a 10th or 11th grade class. Good luck. And that is not setting up our kids for success. And so what this school does is it recognizes that 
uh, a young person who maybe hasn't had uh, much or any formal education, but is a, a teenager, is going to need different supports um, to be able to succeed. And so it's a three-year school that is just for refugee girls. And it is recognizing that they maybe will need kindergarten uh, a level of material, and they are going to probably move up through that because um, it's going to be very tailored to them. But at the same time, recognizing that these are young women who have lived probably as adults for many years and carried the maturity of adults. And so that you can't have kindergarten material that is geared towards kindergartners, and you have to be respecting these young women for the maturity that they have and holding those two identities at the same time. And they do that in a really powerful way, both in the structure of the school, but also in the community they bring into the school. And so they have this cadre of volunteers, the local volunteers that come in every day, every week, working one-on-one with these young women. And so that they are getting the support, they're able to catch up on the years of learning that they might have missed, um, possibly because of war um, or other violence um, in home country. And they're setting them up for success so that when they enter high school, um, they have a much better chance of succeeding. Um, So that is for a very particular group of students. There are, though, really uh, powerful other strategies that I uh, learned about in the book and write about in the book. So there is the Aurora Action Zone in Aurora, Colorado, which is um, a community school approach for these five schools in Aurora, where traditionally a school might open at 7 a.m. and close at uh, 3, and then the buildings sit empty. And instead, they envisioned their schools as community hubs, vibrant community hubs that would be open from sunrise to sunset. And they have been working in collaboration, these five schools, not just with each other, but also with the community. And so drawing in and collaborating with local businesses and nonprofits and the local hospital and also groups of immigrant and refugee parents. And they're doing this in an ongoing way, meeting and organizing and collaborating on different projects to support students in the school. And so I think just the power of how they are seeing all of the rich assets in their community in terms of the people and the organizations that are there that can help students um, and just strengthen communities um, and so that the communities are helping each other. Um, It's not one way, it is two way. Um, That's a really powerful example. And then there's um, uh, another really powerful example that um, is looking at literacy. So um, in... Guilford, North Carolina, there is a school district and an amazing EL team, a district level team. And they, for years, have been trying different approaches to supporting their immigrant origin students. And some were successful and some were not, but they weren't satisfied. And they, um, a number of years ago, learned of a different approach to teaching literacy. And that approach um, had students grapple with complex, rich academic language. Um, Often um, they had been in the past teaching more simplified language. Um, But this was an approach to supporting students playing with, it really is playing with um, really rich sentences, juicy, they call them juicy sentences. And this district team really found this idea exciting 
and then work to figure out how they could implement this across a district of 126 schools where some schools are, there's one school that's an all recent immigrant and refugees, and some schools maybe have five EL students. And so a wide range of schools, how to help teachers reimagine literacy for immigrant origin students and doing that from, in all sorts of ways, from like whole on PD to weekly sessions to newsletters where they're highlighting success in different classrooms to going to particular teachers if they're struggling and saying, can I help teach this lesson with you? Can I model lesson? Do you need resources? Let me find you the resources. So it's like all the big and the like the individual ways that they are supporting teachers in helping them reimagine literacy. And then they're seeing test results shoot up. Um, and so I these three different examples, there are um, so many more from the book, but of different ways I was learning from educators who are innovating in this space in thinking about how we reimagine instruction. How do we support certain students? How do we draw in and tap into the strengths of our communities? Um, and there's so many more, but there's just, I think I was struck by and really exhilarated by all of the different types of innovation and creative ideas and approaches um, that are out there in our schools. And what too was striking to me is how they are too often not known outside of their school district or their city or their state. And so how do we as um, a community of educators across the country first identify and then connect these great ideas and programs so we can learn from each other. Um, also, so we can grapple with challenges together um, because none of these educators and none of the schools I looked at um, would say that they're doing everything perfectly. They all have areas of growth and they are the first to say that, um, but they're doing some really powerful work in their schools and their communities. And I think it's really important for us to be able to learn from them and then also to be able to collaborate with each other. I think that's awesome because, and thank you, by the way, for going out and finding and highlighting these various success stories. Because as you share those uh, three uh, three stories, three different um, places where really they are working, not perfect, but they are working to create the best learning environment. I heard supporting teachers. I heard creating intervention and supporting kids. I heard a collaborative process, um, bringing in both the business and the community and to be able to provide support to students. And I think that's key for all the school leaders and policymakers and uh, emerging leaders that are listening, or even educators that are listening, is that if we are going to really create, foster, innovate, scale up our practices, is going to be providing teachers with the right support because they're in the classroom teaching the kids and they need uh, different strategies, PDs, um, flexibility to be able to meet the needs of the kids in front of them and really finding the right interventions for the students in front of you because there are many interventions and but some may work for your community, some may not. And, and it's important that you try different interventions. And when you do, you scale it up. And whether it's in one school, scaling it across the district, whether it is in one state, scaling it across the state lines, but also making sure we are collaborative meeting kids' needs. Because I know uh, as a day-to-day -day school principal, 
oftentimes the you know migrant families sometimes they do may not have papers and sometimes they may be illegal and they still need dental they still need to eat the bills still need to be paid that collaborative process uh, supporting the whole child but including the family in the whole right uh, become very important so whichever model uh, definitely uh, getting the book and really gleaning deep into those three and more in the book but Ultimately, as as leaders go about grappling with how to provide support with Esau migrant student, is not to forget it is a collaborative process to include the business, to include the community, and obviously to provide teachers with the right of support. Uh, with that said, uh, um, you know what are some of the key takeaways or lessons uh, that I think that you think school leaders, policymakers who are making, who are in charge of schools or creating policy uh, can, can glean from the work that you have done to really create the best policy, right? If you're a policymaker or the right school environment and intervention, if you're a school leader to really support students, because you said a lot, but, but what are the key takeaways that leaders can take today and really try to implement tomorrow? Yeah. Um, so um, one, um, at the end of the book in chapter eight, I um, have created a guide. Um, and this guide is, I label it version 1.0 um, because I expect it will be iterated. I hope um, it needs to be iterated on by um, educators across the country and researchers and policymakers. But it shares a, a series of ideas of policy and practice um, that are drawn from the book of ways to get us started and thinking about how we reimagine schools on day one tomorrow. Um, so I would urge educators listening to the podcast to check out um, chapter eight, um, where there is this guide. And what it is framed around is thinking about, and I think this is a good way um, as we think about like what are the types of policies and practices we want to be implementing, it's framed around um, what I've found to be the eight essential elements of belonging. And so belonging might be hard to understand. Well, how do we nurture a sense of belonging? Um, and so what I found from listening to and learning from educators, from those folks at the, the heart of these um, cases in history, from my young people, are what I'm terming these eight essential elements of belonging. And so those are opportunities for new beginnings. Supportive communities. We've talked a lot about communities um, here. Um, so the supportive communities. Three, those assurances of security. Four, the chances to dream. Five, committed advocates. Six, recognition of students' strengths and assets. Seven, acceptance for who students are and where they come from. Acceptance for all those many identities. And eight, opportunities for students to develop their voice and valuing those voices. And so I think when we're thinking about what are the policies in our schools and what are the, the practices we can implement in our classrooms is when I think about it for my classroom and as I think about it as I'm starting to work with schools and districts across the country coming out of this book is thinking about how we are creating policies and practices around these eight essential elements. Um, how are we creating schools that give our sense of sen our students a sense of security? Um, how are we helping them? We talked earlier about how our students are building new communities here. How can we help support them in building new communities, connecting them in? What are the policies in place where um, 
we are valuing their voices? Is it project-based learning? Is it um, projects that get them speaking with members of the community? Um, what are the ways in which we are ensuring our students feel accepted for their many identities? Um, what are there's so many policies and practices and the little ways in our classrooms where we show our students um, very powerfully um, if they're accepted or not. And we want to be ensuring that all of our students feel that sense of acceptance. Um, and so I would say uh, more than any one individual policy, because I hope people will go read the book and there's slews of ideas, um, is to think about how do we ensure our, our students are feeling that sense of belonging. And those eight elements, I hope, are directions for us to be thinking about what types of policies and practice we can be taking um, to make sure our, our schools are really nurturing that strong sense of belonging for our students. I think it's amazing that uh, each school leader really should get the book and uh, read the entire book, but definitely, um, you know, look at the eight elements to see, uh, A, where they are, right? Um, their school culture, their classroom and school culture, and and, and wherever there is a lack or, or need scaling up and, and really work at uh, really scaling things up and making sure that they are creating uh, a sense of belonging, making students feel safe, feel they are part of that school community. They're included. Um, and I think sometimes just knowing students' name and having somebody uh, in the building that 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 they can connect with, whether it's a teacher or even the front desk who could say hello in Spanish and, and, and French and and whatever language they, they speak, or even as a leader teacher, just just learning few words, making them feel they are welcome in that classroom um, is very important and will have a significant impact. And I know, again, as a migrant Esau student, um, the fact that I have a difficult first name, but the fact that they, teachers knew my name and they knew the fact that I love to play soccer and I was on the soccer team. And uh, even if they didn't attend, just asking me about soccer, asking me uh, my interests, asking me, you know, um, and, and really providing with support uh, really created, made me feel. I like to say there's a difference between saying something and making someone feel. And kids sometimes need to feel. They may know you, lo you love and appreciate them, but they need to feel it. Right. And and how you uh, what they will remember most, not what you thought, uh, what you teach them, but is really how you make them feel. And, and that's very important in creating a positive classroom culture, a positive school culture and, and, and leaders that are listening. Again, get the book and review, read the whole book, but review the eight elements, because I think you can glean from that and begin implementing some of those ideas tomorrow to create the best uh, classroom, the best um, school environment uh, for your Esau migrant um, students. As we come to a closure, uh, and I want to thank you, Jessica, for coming on. You know, as as we wrap it, it's very. I think it's very important that we continue this conversation because, again, uh, our Esau migrant population in the U.S. is increasing. And whether we like it or not, uh, I think we need to prepare ourselves and, and, and create the best environment, the best conducive environment to really meet students' needs. And, and I think your book uh, uh, is a wonderful uh, book to help school leaders, uh, again, 
uh, that are doing the work daily. And, and, so, and the things you share are not just, yes, there, there is, um, you know, research behind it, obviously, but the point is that you are implementing these things on the day-to-day basis as a practitioner. And I think, uh, I think that's the key uh, for all the leaders that are listening. So as we wrap up again, thank you for coming on, uh, share your favorite book. It could be the book you just wrote, uh, or quote and, and why. Um, so I, I'll share a few. I love to read. So I'll share a few that I have been reading recently. Um, Invisible Child um, by Andrea Elliott um, was a really powerful book I read in the last year. Um, Beautiful Country um, by Xian Julie Wang. And then uh, most recently, Emily Francis's new book. She's a teacher in North Carolina, um, If You Only Knew. Um, and she is a immigrant origin student herself. And she just came out with this book. So those are three books that uh, have been really powerful for me to read, um, particularly in thinking about how they impact my thinking um, for my own teaching um, in the last year. Awesome. Again, thank you for coming on the podcast. Tell everyone listening how they can connect with you and buy your book. Absolutely. Um, so my book, again, is Making American... Uh, Making Americans, uh, Stories of Historic Struggle, New Ideas and Inspiration in Immigrant Education. It is available wherever you get your books, um, on the the big platforms, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. Um, but I also encourage you to support your local independent bookstore. Um, and so um, you can find it at your favorite local bookstore too. Um, and then ways to get in touch with me, my email, uh, my website, sorry, my website is um, www.jessicalander.com. Um, and then I'm on Twitter at, at Jessica underscore Lander. Um, and I really do hope that um, folks listening will reach out. It really is going to take a collaboration of educators across the country thinking about how we reimagine immigrant education. So I'm really excited to learn from um, folks listening to this podcast of what you think of these stories, of these ideas, of maybe ideas that you have or work that you're doing that you want to share or challenges you're facing that you want to grapple with together. Um, This is really something that is uh, only going to be done if we all come together and work on it. And I, I just hope that we can build a collaboration across the country together doing this work. Um, so I will end with saying, I I hope you get the book. I hope you find it powerful. I hope you remember that, uh, our immigrant origin students just enrich our schools in so many ways that they bring such a wealth of strengths, perspectives, knowledge, and skills. And I am excited to be working with, um, so many educators across the country to be creating schools that best nurture for them a strong sense of belonging um, because they have so much to teach uh, us uh, and so much to contribute in our communities as they build new homes here. Thank you, Jessica, for coming on. And again, you can connect with Jessica on Twitter. I will put the link to the book in the show notes. And I also encourage if you are on social media, I just attended, I believe, Thursday or Friday, uh, Jessica's uh, webinar. So she's also uh, conducting webinar. It was very informative. So again, whatever she uh, you see that she has and you're available, I highly recommend you tap into it um, because it will provide you with ideas, tips of ways you can scale up as a teacher, as an assistant principal, as a school leader, even as a district person of ways you can support school leaders to scale up and provide better education for ESOL and migrant students. Again, thank you, Jessica. Uh, um, thank you for coming on. 
Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to learn from you and to be in conversation with you. So thank you for inviting me onto the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Please consider subscribing to the podcast, leave a five-star rating and a comment, share this episode with a friend and on social media. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for leadership ideas and tips. Again, thank you for joining me today. Until next time.